People Show. It is Josh Elliott Wolf here with you on Family Day. Happy Family Day. Producer Victor Gaucher as well. Staying late a little bit. Working late on Family Day. Him and I are family today. It's beautiful. We are family. It's lovely. It's beautiful. And uh, you, the listener, as well. You can be part of the family on the People Show today as we uh, take it to 7 o'clock. We'll talk about today's Canucks game. There were a few goals in it. And we'll talk about the takeaways from it. Everything will dive into the game. If you want to get your texts in, you can. 650-650, Dunbar Lumber text line. It is the people's show, so we want your takes. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street. Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center. Or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. And we are coming to you live from the Kintec studio. Kintec, Canada's favorite orthotics provider. Powered by... Thousands of five-star Google reviews, sore feet. What are you waiting for? In a moment, we're going to talk to Dan Riccio, uh, host of Canucks Central. But for the past couple Canucks games on the radio, you've been hearing him on the broadcast as a normal play-by-play guy. Brendan Batchelor welcomes in uh, their second child. So congrats to him. But Dan Riccio on the call, doing a great job. It's been a tough, uh, a couple tough games to call um not for a lack of excitement though especially today 10-7 Canucks lose to the Minnesota Wild a game that I mean I think a lot of us maybe thought was put away after two periods but it obviously was not and let's go to the dispatch plumbing heating and air conditioning hotline the first call the only call it is uh Canucks Central's very own Dan Riccio uh thanks for this Reach. how are you uh, I was doing pretty well, but apparently I'm the reason the Canucks have lost two in a row. So Yeah, <laughs> I was going to say, I didn't want to introduce you as the least successful play-by-play guy in, in Canucks history, <laughs> but 0-2, man, that's tough. It's tough. People can't wait for Batch to come back, but uh, I will say, I did get to call like four games worth of goals in two games, so I'm I'm pretty happy about that. That's a win. And hey, you did you sounded great. Uh, great job in the past couple of games, but uh, how's your voice after? Yeah, 17 goal calls today. How are you feeling? Feeling pretty good. Thought the uh, Canucks maybe had a couple more in them. Could have had a 10-10 game. That would have been fun. But uh, no, feeling good. I mean, it was wild third period. Canucks allowing seven goals against. It uh, brings back memories of our friend Eddie Lack. Oh man, Eddie Lack catching strays. I got it. Uh, we'll get into that. What and a big a big reason for that third period collapse was due to uh, the special teams. Canucks taking a lot of penalties early in the third, late in the second. Um, what do you think of what happened there on special teams and just their their overall penalty kill, especially in the last couple games? Well, the penalty kill is struggling to say the least. And actually, I thought it was pretty good through most of today's game against Minnesota. Of course, give up as many five on threes as they did. You're asking for trouble. And that's exactly what happened. They scored three with the two man advantage and four total for the day. But you think about the goals that were scored. I mean, Zuccarello puts one in off of Ian Cole at the end of the second there. And they take another penalty before the period is out. So they're starting the third with the two man advantage again it just felt like a snowball. They couldn't stop from growing on them. And as that happened, Minnesota just kept building momentum. They kept going to the same plays. They kept the same guys out on the ice. I mean, it felt like Boldy and Eriksson Eck and 
all of those guys, Kaprizov, were never getting off, and the Canucks weren't getting any bounces. But you've got to earn your bounces, and you've got to get your clears when they're available to you, and you can't throw it up and over the glass as JT Miller did, and you can't get your stick up high on Matt Boldy like Teddy Bluger did and take yet another penalty and put the team at a continued disadvantage. It just felt like everything the Canucks did went against them, some of that their own fault, and I understand some of the complaints with the officiating. It carries over from the last couple of games, but realistically, it's kind of hard to quibble with the penalties that put them down two men, right? Miller goes to lay a game. Pedersen trying to save a goal after the Canucks let Brock Faber just walk through them there at the end of the second, and Teddy Bluger's high stick. I mean, all three of them are easily called by most referees in the NHL. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Is it, it, There's been a lot of ref blaming in uh, during the game today and after the game on the post-game show. And realistically, like the only call I really disagree with were, was the uh, Elias Lindholm one. And But they killed that yep. one off, right? And so no issue there. And then the, uh, the, the non-whistle on the fifth goal by Minnesota I think was also a little suspect. But to be fair... I could not see the puck. I had no yeah. idea where the puck was. Uh, you can hear it on the call as well but it's just uh, the ref is standing there behind the net and I'm guessing he's able to see it somehow some way and that's why he doesn't blow it down I mean it's it just felt like it went on forever where you couldn't see the puck there was three Canucks plus the goalie down on the ice trying to force it under Casey DeSmith and get it smothered and the longer they let the Minnesota Wild sort of pick at it they finally were able to, to to get it free and then create an easy goal for Capriza. Yeah, it was weird. Haven't seen a – usually refs will just opt to blow it when they can't see it, but didn't happen today. Yeah. Do you believe at nope. all in the uh, – so Myers criticizing the refs after the last game, and do you think it, do you think it played a part at all in how this game was officiated? I, I don't think so. I mean, look, even Rick Tockett, who's – really tried to avoid the referee bashing throughout the course of the year. You know, he sort of joked on Saturday that, um, you know, if he was on TNT, he might have a few more words to say than what he was in his post-game press conference. But, look, you were right. The, the, the Lindholm one is something you can look at and say, okay, that was pretty weak, that was soft. But overall, I mean, I don't think there was too many missed calls by the refs against the Canucks today. You know, it just just felt like a game where they were the ones inflicting their own punishment. And that might sound harsh. We haven't seen it often this year from this team, but it's something they've got to clean up because it's becoming an issue of the last week and a bit. It is the People Show. Josh Elliott Wolf joined by Sportsnet 650's very own Dan Riccio. So as far as general you know, takeaways from a game like this, is this something like you can look at and you have legitimate takeaways and something you can build on or is this a hey wipe the slate clean it was 17 goals in this game like this this isn't going to happen again you know it's definitely not going to happen again I mean uh, I don't think you're going to see the Canucks give up another 10 spot to to a team this year at least I hope not incoming tomorrow uh abs getting 10 goals (laughs) uh coming tomorrow Nathan McKinnon breaking Daryl Sittler's record of 10 (laughs) points in a game yeah um uh, like defensively at five on five, they they were fine. Uh, maybe not so much in the third period when, you know, the Wild scored all those goals all in quick succession. The Canucks were just clearly reeling and 
didn't seem like Rick Tockett wanted to bail his team out and give them a timeout and give them a breather, try to regroup there. But it just, it felt like a game that was drunk. And I know I'm not the only one to make that sort of assessment, but really a lot of the stuff that happened, you just don't see in a regular game. Maybe that has to do with the matinee affair. I don't know, but it was a very uncharacteristic game for, for Vancouver. They still carried some of their strong five-on-five play from Saturday against Winnipeg into today's game. It's just one of those things. I don't think you can spend too much time dwelling on the mistakes of the third period and how that quickly got turned on them. I'm sure Rick will tell them there's some learning lessons, as he always does after every Canucks loss. But the real thing is that's continued to be a bit of a sore spot for me it's the power play. I know they got one today, but it still felt clunky. It didn't feel all that great. Pedersen had a bunch of mishandles, and the only goal they scored, it just felt like JT Miller went hero mode. It was just like, all right, none of, none of, none of anything else is working, so I'm just going to do this myself. And that's how they scored a goal. But it still feels like a real sore spot the way the power play is going right now. Yeah, the power play, it's weird especially because you look at it and you say you think like, man, Hughes is he's an elite power play quarterback. We know what Pedersen can do. Miller is great on the power play. And then you add Lindholm. Theoretically, this power play should be like at the top, near the top of the league with, with, how, with the players they have on it. But it almost feels like they're trying to, like without Miller on the, the left half wall, it kind of feels like they're trying to strive for perfect when they had it pretty good. You know what I mean? It's maybe like maybe this is something where you're looking for different wrinkles as you go on to the season now that you've got such a big cushion. Because for so long, I mean, Miller on the left half wall has been basically unstoppable. Mm-hmm. So what's what are you what are you gaining out of moving him out of that spot? And all the while, while you're doing this and trying these new things a lot of struggles are coming your way. If you want to bail it out, go back to what works. Why not try that? So that might be coming down the line, but I do wonder if this is something that Rick Tockett and the team sort of wants to try as you know they get closer to the playoffs and maybe wanting to try a few different things so that they don't have their opponents have just a, an easy playbook to look at once they get into a playoff series. So the way this team has lost the last couple games, it's kind of been these moments that have snowballed on them, and they, they've kind of lost their composure. Um, do, you, do you read anything into that in terms of like, hey, like this, you're getting close to the playoffs, you're going to play all these important games, and then obviously in the postseason, the most important games, and it, it feels like that composure and that, that emotional fortitude is kind of being tested right now. The, the glass half full uh, thought on this is, Good learning lessons for a team that hasn't had a ton of these experiences late in the season, going down the stretch, being in first place, getting ready for the playoffs, emotional games really taking over. And it's better to do this and go through this now than it is to go through it in a playoff series. The glass half empty approach would be, well, these are the warts we were waiting for the Canucks to show. And here they are. Um, I, I really do think it is the former though, where, you need to have a little bit of adversity. We've talked about this. Things have just gone all too well, and it felt like it was going the same way today. I mean, the Canucks scored on their first two shots of the game. Minnesota had the ice tilted for the first 
10, 15 minutes of that first period. And yet the Canucks are up two nothing. So I think this is in the long run going to be something that helps the Canucks continue to build a lot of these players and the group especially hasn't had these types of experiences, hasn't had playoff type atmospheres and playoff type intensity. And we're not even there yet. We're just ratcheting up towards that. And so this is something I think the Canucks are absolutely going to be able to build off of and be better for by the time the playoffs do roll around. How big of a a loss do you think Dakota Joshua has been for these last few games? Because I look at it and before when they were in these kind of emotional moments, it felt like things were maybe about to snowball. Rick Taka would throw out the third line. Joshua Bluger Garland would make something happen and momentum would kind of shift. And we haven't really seen that work as well with Mikheyev there. So I'm just wondering if, hey, maybe Joshua being out, we thought it would be a big miss, but now it kind of feels like even uh, even more important than we may have thought. Has it not worked, or has Mikheyev just not been able to finish the chances he's actually got? Well, I don't know if they're controlling play as well as we as we saw before, too. In terms of, like, they well, would have these long, extended shifts in the offensive zone. Uh, offensive zone. Yeah. And we've seen it a bit, but not not nearly as much. That's that's fair. It, it does feel like, you know, the ability to really tilt the ice in their favor isn't isn't necessarily there. But I know there's a lot of our listeners that think I'm some kind of McKay of truther and biggest <laughs> McKay of stand around. But I mean, he had a breakaway or a half break chance against Winnipeg, couldn't finish on Connor Hallebuck. He had another one today, couldn't finish. He's had his opportunities. That line has had their opportunities to score some goals. It just hasn't gone in for them. So I think maybe they score one or two. We're having a completely different conversation about it. But you can't ignore the fact that the Canucks penalty kill has given up six goals in the last two games with Dakota Joshua being out and him being a major part of the PK. So there is some element of, yeah, you're missing Dakota Joshua right now. At the same time, you know, that conversation would sort of spark a bigger picture conversation if the team is really struggling to replace Dakota Joshua. That might sound disrespectful to, to Dak, but, I mean, he's a third-line player. The best teams in the league should be able to replace third-line players when they fall out of the lineup. You need to be more concerned when it's your top guys coming out. So this is something where probably small sample size – Two things true at the same time, to borrow a phrase from my co-host Satyar Shah. Yes, the Canucks missed Dakota Joshua, but also you should be able to replace Dakota Joshua at the same time. Fair enough. Uh, yeah, there's been a lot of Mikheyev uh, questioning in the last, well, I was going to say a few games, but it's definitely been longer than a few games. Um, so so Mikheyev had 10 goals, his first like 53 shots on net in the season. It was crazy. And now he's gone about... 50 shots without a goal this year. So things have evened out. He's close to a hundred shots on the year. does and has 10 goals. That's about a 10% shooting percentage. Still fine. But I think uh, he is definitely snake bit a little bit and he's going to score soon. Uh, that's, that's my story and I'm sticking to it. Okay. I, I hope so. I hope so. But people are kind of calling for him to, to be a guy that maybe gets scratched uh, for a game, maybe two. I, I disagree with the two. I think he, he will figure it out eventually. But uh, one guy people want to see in the lineup is Arshdeep Baines now that, that he's with the team. Do you think that we see 
Baines in the lineup tomorrow. Maybe not for Mikheyev, but uh, for someone as they uh, play back-to-back. Well, we'll see what happens with Connor Garland. I know he returned in the third after taking that uh, that shot off of off the top of his leg, but you know, you never you never really know how things are going to react later on. If there's a deeper bruise that he starts to feel when he wakes up tomorrow morning, but I'm I'm still curious the the way that Rick Tockett works. I think he'd be reluctant to to bring somebody in coming from the AHL and without having any practice time just yet. So that would be my hesitation to say our Steve Baines gets into the lineup tomorrow and makes his NHL debut. But you also have the idea of, you know, this team just allowed 10 goals in a game to the Minnesota wild. So coaches are more likely to make a change coming off a loss like that. However, I still think Rick Tockett is more likely to shade on the side of, I'm not bringing a kid in when he hasn't yet had a practice. Especially I have to. on the road in Colorado. That's a, that's a tough spot. Yeah. Uh, Reach, really appreciate you taking the time. Great job on the calls the past couple games, by the way. I, I think you're back on Central tomorrow, but I guess we'll find out tomorrow. As far as we know, that is the plan. And I know all those blaming me for the two losses uh, Saturday and today are, are going to be happy to hear Batch back on the call. If they win tomorrow, there might be some truth to it. I don't know. Hey, thank you. Have a good night. <laughs> See you, Josh. Uh, there is Dan Riccio, Canuck Central host, usually, but for the past couple games, play-by-play here on Sportsnet 650. And, yeah, we'll see if Arshdeep Baines gets into the lineup for the Canucks tomorrow. He's been with the team, and uh, I know a lot of people want him, local boy, to get into the lineup. I think it's a bit of a tough spot for him just because it's on the road in Colorado, like Reach mentioned, no practice time. It would be interesting to see. I want to see him. I just don't know if it's the best spot for him. Uh, But we'll get into that and more on the other side. The People Show rolls on. Josh Elliott, Wolf, Victor Gaucher here with you on Sportsnet 650. JamPro, the leaders in commercial cleaning and janitorial. If your workplace demands a clean environment, contact JamPro for a free, no-obligation quote. Visit jampro.ca. Welcome back to The People Show. Josh Elliott Wolf here with you on a family day. It's a holiday, so uh, call in the backups. That's why Victor Gaucher is here as well. I guess hey you, now. you're here on Mondays, usually. Yeah, Monday's my day. It's okay to be a backup, by the way. That's fine. Unless you're ra- Casey DeSmith today. Oh. <laughs> tough, tough. Uh, by the way, Canucks lose 10-7. This feels like it, it's a weird time to come on because it's not directly post-game. But we're still going to talk about the game today, obviously. And then they have another game tomorrow. But uh, I'm hosting. So Jamie Dodd is filling in for Mike Halford on the morning show this week. I am hosting with Thomas Strantz a few days this week. Looking forward to it. That's always fun. Keeps you on your toes. Am I right? <laughs> um, but I am, I'm looking forward to it. So we're going to preview that game tomorrow as well. I don't know. Weird spot to be in. Weird spot to be in. But happy to be here with you. You can text in 650-650, Dunbar Lumber text line. And also, we are coming to you live from the Kintex studios. When we have guests on, like we had uh, Dan Riccio on last segment, they come to us via the Dispatch Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning Hotline. It is the first call 
and the only call. I did want to get into, uh, so, so one thing I used to do, Victor, on these shows, in these weird time slots, to fill time, is we would do the five W's. Have you heard of this? Have I done this with you? The who, the what, the where, and the why, and the yeah. whatever? Who, what, where, when, why? And oh. the wild? Are you, oh, man, should have done that. Missed opportunity. Um, but essentially, so what I did is I prepared five questions. I'll, I'll pose them generally to myself, but I'll, I'll post them to you. I'll post them to the listeners as well. 650-650, Dunbar Lumber text line. If you want to text in, get your opinion heard. Um, but the five W's, it is who, what, where, when, why. And I will start with aware. So we talked to Dan Riccio a bit about this uh, in when we had him on. And the main issue I feel like this Canucks team has had is where is this team's composure level right now? And that's the first question. And I know a lot of people, I saw it on Twitter, I saw it in the text box, heard it on the postgame show from the callers, is people are blaming the refs for this game. And me personally, when I look at it, like I just, I really can't put this game on the refs. And I said it to reach the Lindholm call. That was trash. I completely, I'm, I'm on board with that. That was a horrible call, especially because Erickson Eck, basically did the exact same thing two seconds prior but the Canucks killed that penalty it was in the first period it was a it was a tough time for them they were definitely getting uh handled by the Minnesota Wild but they got through it they didn't give up give up a goal on that five on three and so overall I just don't really I don't really have too much of an issue with it other than the call by the ref the other questionable call by the officiating today was not blowing the whistle on that game-time goal. And that's something I will also put in the trash category. That was bad because, like, realistically, we've, we've all watched hockey enough to see that play a bunch of times before. And generally, when the ref loses sight of the puck, like, it seemed like he should have there unless he has, you know, amazing eyesight. He's been eating his carrots, whatever. Um, generally that will be blown dead. And that was my clear expectation. Honestly, when the play kept going, I thought I missed a whistle. I didn't know what was happening. And then, obviously, the Wild go ahead and score. And that's the game-tying goal. And that's that's a tough spot to, to have something go against you. And I completely understand that. But in terms of the other penalty calls, like, look at it. You go through each one. It's, like, high-sticking. It's delay of game. You can't really... Those are unquestionable calls. And if you go look at it and and watch the replays, I just don't really I, – I can't put myself in the shoes of if I was, you know, rooting for the Minnesota Wild. If that wasn't called, I would be ten times more upset than if I was a Canucks fan and that was called. So – it's it's a weird spot to be in. I get it, especially after the Jets game on Saturday where I did think the refing that was going against you. You got some bad calls. The Jets were diving all over the place. It's a bad game to have in succession. I just don't have as many issues with the refing today as I did on Saturday. But again, I get it. Giving up four or five on threes and not getting the call on the whistle for the game time goal is incredibly frustrating. But... You can't give up six goals in under six minutes of game time. That is insane. And a team that, like, if you're a legit Stanley Cup contender, 
You can't lose your composure like that. Especially after you did essentially the same thing on Saturday against the Jets, just without as much drama involved in regards to the in in regards to the officiating and and like you didn't give up six goals. Today was infinitely more dramatic than it was on Saturday. But I just think I really need to see a higher level of emotional fortitude from this team if I'm going to have confidence in them throughout the postseason. And throughout most of the season, we have seen this team be resilient. Like We we all know the record going into the third period with the lead. It was 31-0-2 going into today's game. Now, it's, now there's a little one where that O was. Maybe that's good. Maybe you don't have to worry about it anymore. Because I was kind of worried they would bring it into the postseason and then game one, boom, it's gone. Now it's gone. You don't have to worry about it. You you still want to keep it as good as possible, but that record is gone regardless. Um, I just, again, I need to see some more emotional fortitude is the word I'm going to use, composure from this team as they get ready for the postseason because – that's the thing that that kind of separates you when you're when you're new to the playoffs. And I'll get into that more in in a different question, but that's that's usually the separating factor between teams that maybe are as talented as the Canucks, but if they've been there before, they know how to handle it. We saw it against Boston as well where hey, this is a highly emotional game and the Canucks come out flat, lose for nothing, it wasn't good. And one thing I was talking about with Reach as well, I'm just, I wonder, and and I know I get it, it's a third liner, it shouldn't have this big of an impact, but I just wonder if the impact that that third line has on shifting momentum and stopping the Canucks from falling into situations like they have been falling into in the past couple games, I just wonder if the if the loss of Dakota Joshua is is being felt. And when that line was intact, it felt like, you know, Taka would put them out there. Even against the run of play, they would put a they would get the Canucks a shift in the offensive zone. It would usually be extended. They would go for a change midway through, and the Canucks would kind of keep that momentum. And we just haven't really seen that with Ilya Mikheyev on that line in Dakota Joshua's place. I just think it's something they've uh, they've really been lacking, and that's a hard thing to recreate, right? Like a team that has that much energy can control play that much. It's just something that they've they've been lacking, and it's something I think needs to be figured out. I don't know if it will be until uh, until Dakota Joshua is healthy. The Miller line, JT Miller line, did have some moments today. I thought it was their best line. Thought it played really well, but I just think they're really missing what that line brought on the third line with uh, when Dakota Joshua was there. The next question: What can you actually? take away from a game like this a 10-7 loss things going wild in the uh in the third period to start pun not intended um and at the end of the second period things got crazy and that's why I would say in terms of hey what can you take away from a game like this I just don't think you could take a lot away from a game like this it was a really weird game Probably the weirdest one we're going to see maybe in the NHL this season in terms of how often are you going to see 17 goals, man? 17 goals! That's crazy! But the only thing, again, I think you could take away from this game is 
the lack of composure that the Canucks have had in the past couple games. And that's something that, if it became a trend, that would be concerning moving forward. And what I was what I was kind of getting into is I think that's the thing that separates teams when you get to the playoffs. And it's a big reason that teams usually can't go from being out of the playoffs like the Canucks were last season and for a couple seasons before that to challenging for the Stanley Cup. Because I really think the emotions catch up to you once you get to the postseason if you haven't dealt with that pressure before. And once you get there and, and you're dealing with that pressure, if things go wrong, it can really start to snowball. And I think we're seeing that with this team right now. I think we saw it in in the game against the Jets as well where, hey, that was a big test for you and and you didn't really handle it very well. But on the flip side, let's go uh let's go glass half full here. Maybe these past couple games end up being something that the Canucks, you know, look back on in the future and they're they're a pair of games that taught them how to handle the pressure a bit better when they get faced with similar situations in the future. But it's really hard to say. That's really hard to predict. I just don't know how that's all going to progress for the Canucks as the season goes on. Uh, positive takeaway. Canucks were really good. Five on five. And I think they control play for most of the game at even strength. They just really they need to figure out this uh, the special teams battle. Because since Joshua has been out, again, you're feeling the loss of Joshua on the penalty kill as well, which is something I'm going to get into. I, I don't know if I really agree with how the Canucks are approaching their PK deployment. I have some questions about it. Um, but maybe it's something that like, you had so many five-on-threes today. It's It's a weird situation to put yourself in because that's not how you need a center out there. And maybe that's why JT Miller was getting a bit more time. But there are guys I would like to see on the penalty kill that aren't getting PK time. And that's a bit concerning for me, especially when the PK is struggling. Next question. Who comes out of the lineup for Arshdeep Baines? Victor, do you think Arshdeep Baines is going to get a shot tomorrow? Mix it up a little bit? Probably not. Colorado's a tough place to go for a new kid. It is. He's the new kid on the block. Like, what's the what's the soccer comparable for this? You get a <laughs> your first game in a visiting place. What's like the third best team in uh, in the EPL? Where it'd be like horrible just to go into their place and and have your debut. Definitely not uh, Satyar Shah's Chelsea. They don't matter anymore. <sighs> oh man, uh, I, I, is that a big I would insult? Say, I don't know. Arsenal. Is it just because Archdeep Baines and Arsenal? Let's go with that, First yeah. Three I definitely meant, I intended for that to happen. That was yeah. great. Um, I I kind of agree with you, Victor. Not about the Arsenal thing. I have no idea. <laughs> I just know soccer's your bag, and I was trying to make it comparable. I don't know if it worked, regardless. I liked your, uh, sorry to sidetrack here, you had a tweet saying that the Canucks should go more Wolves in Portugal with oh, the Swede line. I like yeah. that. That was good. So, you, you get the reference. So, Wolves... Uh, an EPL team they have a lot of Portuguese players on their team and so they just have an alternate kit that's just clearly Portugal it's like red and green it basically looks like a national team jersey it is obvious and I appreciate it like just lean into Mm -hmm. it because they they like getting Portuguese players whatever the Canucks like getting Swedes we We lean into it yeah if they're good they're good man that's that's all I gotta say um 
that's that's the bar you have to clear. But yeah, throw a blue and yellow alternate in there. Team Sweden, whatever. If it gets more Swedes on the team, good ones, I'm all for it. Me too. I'm all for it. Uh, but back to the question, who, who comes out of the lineup for uh, Arsteep Baines? And I agree with you, Victor. I'm still leaning towards the Canucks rolling with the same lineup tomorrow. And I think you can... I don't. I don't want to say bank on this being an up uh, being a one-off game, but it it's just so. It was such a weird game, man. Ten seven. Every time I say the score, I'm like, what the hell? Um, but it was such a weird game that I think you can roll with the same lineup tomorrow and hope they are rejuvenated, you know, or or looking for revenge is a is a better word, I guess. Because when you give up 10 goals and you come back with the same lineup, it's like, hey, prove that you aren't these guys. Especially against, it's a big test tomorrow. Colorado did not play today. Vancouver's going to be on the second half of a back-to-back altitude. Everything about this screams scheduled loss. Go out there, prove them wrong. That's what you got to do. Um, but in terms of Baines, I just I think it would be fun to see him get a shot and I do wonder again I just come back to like I wonder if they even trust a guy to make his NHL debut against a team like the Avalanche on the road it's just a really really tough spot to put a rookie in for the first game and you don't want to destroy his confidence if you're going to put him in so if they did put Baines in I think the obvious guy to come out of the lineup would probably be Phil DiGiuseppe he played less than nine minutes today, is not playing on the penalty kill, which is uh, surprising because he, he did play there early in the year. I think he has the capability to do it. And when, when it's struggling like it has been the past couple games, I just I wonder why he's not getting a shot. But regardless, only nine minutes today. Hasn't looked especially impactful in the minutes he has played since coming back from injury too. So that seems like the obvious option. The only other one I could think of, if, you, if you're really looking for a big shakeup, would be Niels Hoaglander. But he got that primary assist today. I've really liked his play in the past couple games. He did have that one opportunity to tie the game. With uh, He kind of got a takeaway from Marc-Andre Fleury and, and had an open net. It was bouncing a bit, didn't, didn't finish. That was about, that's, that's kind of the only thing I didn't like from him today. But I can't really blame him for that. Um, that might be the only other option for Baines if they're looking for someone to come in and then you have to have a bigger lineup shakeup. But I just, uh, I don't think this is the fire that Rick Tockett wants to throw Baines into because even if you were like, Hey, we want to get it, get him in for a game at some point on this road trip or some point soon, Seattle still feels like the, the much more likely option. It's a bit easier the team has a day off before it, what I assume would be a travel day. Um, and it just gives you a bit more of an opportunity to get back into uh, the swing of things if you're Baines. Not going up against what would likely be uh, some hard matchups against Colorado. Like if you get stuck out there against Nathan McKinnon, Miko Rantanen, guys like that, even the, even the best NHL players are going to have a bad time, let alone a guy who is in his first NHL game. That would just be, uh, that would be really, really tough. But we'll see. It, it would be an interesting shakeup if he did find a way into the lineup tomorrow. Do you think he has to play at all, or could this just be 
getting him integrated with the guys in the locker room, seeing what it's like to travel with an NHL team. It might just be that. Like, I, yeah, I think they called him up because they were like, hey, you've been playing really well in Abbotsford. You deserve a bit of a pay raise, and we'll, we'll keep you with the team, and, and you'll see what it's like to be in the NHL. I definitely don't think they have to play him at any point, for sure. Because yeah, because if you look at the schedule, like Colorado, tough place, like we said. Yeah. And Seattle, okay, that's a bit better. And then Boston, Pittsburgh, L.A., those are not easy. Those are tough. It's Boston, Pittsburgh, L.A. at home, right, all three of them? Yeah. Um, and, and so maybe that helps a little bit. I don't know if you go I, – I wouldn't want to put them in against Boston because no. that's, that's tough. Maybe Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh hasn't been as good um, as previous years. But, yeah, it's it's hard to kind of find a spot for him to go into the lineup easily and have a have a kind of a warm up game, I guess I guess would be it. But that's why, hey, maybe you're just forced to if you're talking you look at the the upcoming schedule and you're like, well, it's not gonna get much easier, so you might as well get into the lineup today. But we'll see how uh, how things go tomorrow. I don't know if there's any confirmation that there will be a morning skate yet for the Canucks in Denver, but we'll see how that all shakes out tomorrow ahead of their game against the Avalanche. Next question is, um, when do the Canucks change up power play one? And that doesn't necessarily mean changing the personnel, because I think if you look at the top five guys, it's like, is anyone on the second unit really deserving of a shot with the top guys? I don't think so. Like, Niels Hoaglander has been good, but I, I'm not ready for him to take that step. Pew Suter, maybe. He's had a, he's had some chances on the top power play and didn't really look super out of place, so maybe that's the guy. Philip Peronik we've seen there, but I really don't love the idea of two defensemen on the top power play. So it just kind of feels like, hey, these five guys, Lindholm, Besser, Pedersen, Miller, Hughes – you better figure it out because you're not switching it up at any point here because you guys are the guys. Lindholm was brought in to fit well on that power play too, and it just hasn't been working yet. And I think the big thing that Reach mentioned that that a lot of people are mentioning, JT Miller really, really needs to be back on the left half wall. He is so good at facilitating from that spot. He picks his opportunities uh, when to shoot so well. He knows, like, he's a he's an amazing playmaker from that spot. And it just kind of feels like, and I said this to Reach, it feels like they're trying to solve a problem that doesn't really exist. And they're sacrificing, like, they looked at the power play and they were like, yeah, this is really good, and theoretically this could work, but let's try to make it even better. And sometimes when you do that, you get guys out of rhythm, it messes with things a little bit too much, and it ends up being worse than what it was before. And even when you try to go back to it, like I hope they try to go back to Miller on the half wall. It might take some time for the guys to really get back into the swing of things. But I get the idea they're going for. Like, hey, have a lot of movement on the power play. It confuses the the penalty kill. It gives you different looks. And theoretically, that that should be the best way to deploy a top power play unit, especially when you have so many talented players like the Canucks have in those five guys. But when they're stagnant, and in their spots, I just don't see a reason why uh, Miller shouldn't be on the left side. Especially because I haven't – Lindholm's been there, and have they been using him? Not really. So so what's the point in having him there if you're not going to use him 
as often as you would JT Miller. And that was kind of the issue when Kuzmenko would be there as well, is teams would look at him and be like, ah, he's probably not going to shoot. He's not as good of a playmaker as JT Miller. We don't need to worry about him. We're going to go after Hughes and Pedersen and put a lot of pressure on them. And generally it worked. And that's kind of the issue. Like the Canucks need three guys at the top if they're going to make this work. And those three guys need to be JT Miller, Quinn Hughes, Elias Pedersen. And there's a reason it has worked in the past. You got to figure out who the net front guy should be. I'm pretty okay with either Besser or Lindholm because I think both have a both have a good enough shot to also be in the bumper. But the biggest thing, and I know a lot of people have been harping on this. We get a tax 650-650 Dunbar Lumber tax line. Totally agree about Miller being on the left half wall. It just feels like the obvious fix, and it, it feels like the Canucks are being a bit stubborn with trying to fix something that isn't broke. And sometimes you just got to go back to what was working before. And we'll end with this one. Why is the PK deployment so confusing? So since Dakota Joshua has been out, I would have thought, hey, Ilya Mikheyev, not only are you going to get a shot on the third line, a really important line for the Canucks, something that they put a lot of stock into as their energy line, and it's crucial for them. But I also thought, hey, Mikheyev, you're going to get more of an opportunity, especially coming off that ACL injury on the PK. You should theoretically be ramping up by this point. And the Canucks took a lot of penalties today. Ilya Mikheyev did not see any PK minutes. And I don't get it because... Even if he's having issues scoring, he is still a really good defensive forward. And one of his best qualities is being solid on the PK. That was part of the big or a big reason the Canucks went after him in free agency. And I'm I'm just really confused. I don't get it. And he should be getting some minutes on the PK. I mentioned PDG as well. I think he should maybe get an opportunity there, though not nearly as important as Mikheyev getting minutes there. And JT Miller, I love the guy. I think he's playing a bit too much on the PK right now. It's tough. That's how it goes. But, hey, that's why the Canucks special teams just haven't been up to snuff in the past couple games. The PK before that was really, really good. I think they're missing Dakota Joshua a lot. But the special teams battle, they've lost the last two games, and that's uh, that's really been the story in the past couple games. It is the People Show. Josh Elliott Wolf here for another half hour. Victor Gaucher as well. On the other side, we'll uh, maybe get into some other sports. But if you want to keep the Canucks talk going, you can text in 650-650. Dunbar Lumber text line. It is the People Show on Sportsnet 650. JamPro, the leaders in commercial cleaning and janitorial. If your workplace demands a clean environment, contact JamPro for a free, no-obligation quote. Visit jampro.ca.